And welcome to another edition of Racing Through Time, the NASCAR podcast covering the 1986 NASCAR season. Ricky Wittenberg here and in studio, Andy Waddell. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing better than the second monkey on the ark. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, today we are going to cover um, one race in detail and then one race we are just going to... Hated it. Sweep under the... Well, there's only 50 minutes on YouTube. Well, that's true. It, it looked like a good race if we got to see the whole thing. I mean, no. I don't know if it really... I think we're... I don't know if it looked like a good race or not. We're sweeping that one under the rug. We will... Um, we'll touch on it after we go over this this North Wilkesboro race, which we do have in full detail. I'd like to thank a lot of people for uh, joining our Facebook group. Uh, some more people joining Check us out at Racing Through Time, a NASCAR retrospective. Um, follow me on Twitter at OPR Word. You can uh, check out all of your motorsports news at onpitroad.com and follow them on Twitter at onpitroad. And you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So we're kind of everywhere in uh, the cyber world now, Andy. Everywhere you turn around, you will see us. We, we're not quite on uh, uh, X videos or any of those sites, but um, we're, we're, we're moving on up in the world. I thought about putting one on Pornhub just here is us watching a race. Just to see what it's just yeah. to see what kind of reaction we could get. All right, so um, we are at North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, 18,000 stands. Andy, 18,000 people. That's um, we can get 18,000 people in some bigger dirt tracks. I, I was more amazed by 18,000 in the stand, 29,000 overall. Yeah, there, there was, there was 10,000 people in the infield, which is really impressive when you think about a half mile track to have another 10,000 people, 11,000 people in the infield. And picture this, no inner pit road wall. They were sitting on tires right beside the parking spot. Oh, man, we're going to talk about some pit road issues and Ooh. some safety hazards here before this race is over with. All right, so um, we are, it's another ESPN broadcast, and we've got Bob Jenkins, Larry Newber, and Benny Parsons bringing us this race. And uh, we'll let them intro this race and give you a Richard Petty interview because he's starting near the front. To years and years and years ago when uh, Junior actually raced here, uh, you know, he was awful tough on this racetrack himself when it was dirt. And uh, he was tough on all the short tracks as a driver. And I think it sort of it shows up in our race cars. We've always been able to run really well on short tracks. Martinsville, uh, Bristol, Nashville, everywhere we ever went on a short track, the car always seemed to be a little quicker than everybody else's. Darrell's most recent win was in the fall race in 1984. He beat Harry Gant and Bobby Allison en route to the Holly Farms crown. The Johnson cars were 1-2 at the spring race last year with Bonnet chalking up win number 15 for Junior's cars at North Wilkesboro overall. He doesn't own North Wilkesboro Speedway, but his record speaks for itself. And they've even named the densely populated backstretch grandstand for Junior Johnson. Speedway in North Carolina on a cloudy Sunday afternoon. The temperature is 73 degrees. Humidity 35%. We have a 40% chance of rain today and it's rather windy. With winds from the southwest at 25 to 30 miles an hour. 
Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Bob Jenkins, and welcome to the first Union 400 Winston Cup race, the seventh for 1986. The story so far this weekend here at North Wilkesboro has been qualifying and the performance of Richard Petty. He came close but did not capture the pull for today's race. With me in the booth working the event today, Larry Newber and instead Larry Jeff Bodine on the pole. Bob, in all of racing, it's been a heartwarming season. We have seen Kevin Cogan and Michael Andretti win their first races in IndyCars. The vet has finally won an IMSA. And this week, Richard Petty came here to North Wilkesboro not expecting to go for the pole, but... They were so fast they had no choice, but Jeff Bodine, admitting there were some tugs at his heart, beat Richard out for the pole. But I think it does point out how evenly matched everybody is this year, why well, I think Parsons is even going to win this year. <laughs> and also with us in the booth for today's race is Benny Parsons, Winston Cup competitor. And Benny, there's certainly no favorite for today's race. Oh, there isn't a favorite because, in, as you mentioned in the opening of the show, for the past 10 years, Junior Johnson's cars have been dominant here. They've won about everything. But I started racing at this track in 1970, and for the next five or six years, there was a fella almost impossible to beat, Richard Petty. As Larry mentioned, he's starting second today. He has a chance. But when we talk about 1986, we've got to mention Dale Earnhardt. There's been about 2,500 miles of racing competition in 1986. Earnhardt has led around 1,100 miles, almost half of them. Certainly, he has an opportunity today. All right, and also working with us today in the pit area will be Jack Aroot. Let's go to Jack for more on this front row, Jeff Bodine and Richard Petty. Well, gentlemen, as Bob Euchre would say, the front row had a couple of surprises. One on the inside wasn't a surprise. Jeff Bodine snared his third bush pole of the year. But this fellow standing next to me came this close to winning his first since 1979. Richard Petty, the two-day qualifying did you in. That first day, you had the fastest lap. Well, we had the fastest lap first day. And if you know, we were a little bit faster, we could have the fastest lap second day. But, uh, you know, we were real pleased with uh, qualifying as good as we did. So, uh, you know, you don't want to get too greedy. It's been so long since we've been this close. We'll just take this. Well, hey, Listen, the way things have been going the last couple of weeks, the guy on the pole hasn't come up through the gearbox quick enough, and the guy on the outside leads going into the first turn. Well, I'm kind of slow on that, too, so uh, me and him probably have a good start on this one. How about your, your running here in North Wilkesboro? Do you think you've really got a legitimate shot? What with your injured shoulder and the problems that you've had over the last couple of weeks? Well, yeah, we seem like we do. Uh, we feel like the cars very capable of taking care of the thing, and, uh, you know, it's just point of the last race. But, you know, if everything goes right, I can be able to make it okay. So we feel like we've got a super good chance. Confidence coming from Richard Petty, the kind of confidence we haven't seen since maybe 1979. So there we have Jack Root talking to um, Richard Petty and Andy. Uh, what Jack Root? He was he was giving Ben, uh, not Benny, he's giving Petty down the road a little bit there. Yeah, one of the best times he's had in months and years. And what does he do? Well, you run like crap, King. What are you going to do today? Do anything different? Yeah, no kidding. It's like uh, you, you can, you know, you suck. You kind of suck. And uh, we got to do something about it. But Richard Petty is starting on the front row. But I just want to make a note here about the announcers. We get to see a true, inspiring story of redemption. This man, Newber, we know who you really are, Michael and Dale. <laughs> you, you became a crackhead after you left NASCAR, and then you redeemed yourself and made one of the greatest pillows in the world. I salute you, sir. If it was only that simple. <laughs> Poor Larry Newber. He passed away a few years ago. He was a good, he was a really good announcer though. I like Larry Newber. No, that's what they do when they put you in the witness, witness, witness protection. protection. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we get the race off to a uh, good start, but Ian gets a jump. It's like the last few weeks, everybody that's been on the polls had a problem. So I guess Bodine feels good that he at least led a lap or two. Petty falls back to third. Everybody's trying to go to the inside. 
We have uh, Tim Richmond. He loses a few spots on the start. He gets hit by Terry Labonte. He almost spins out. We have uh, Daryl Waltrip getting by Richmond on the outside. Terry Labonte also by Richmond. And early on, here's another race where Richmond's just dropping like a rock. Yeah, loose again. I don't know what the heck you... They have good qualifying, but they can't do worth a flip when they start the race. I don't know what's going on, but he is sliding back. Uh, Joe Rutman has... He's running really well. He gets up to third position here early in the race. Uh, 15 laps on the board. Richmond is still falling back. He almost crashes, and they have set the car up loose once again, apparently, because um, he's he's about to wall at every corner. He was drifting more than to the Tokyo Drift movie. Good Lord. We have uh, Richard Petty going under the uh, the five car of Bodine and trying to get the spot, and they make some pretty hard contact, a drag race down the front stretch, and more, more contact. The fans, you can hear it on the video, the fans are losing their mind because Richard Petty gets in the lead. Yes, and it looked like he was having a flashback of David Pearson. Yeah, they were beating and banging, and Richard Petty to the lead. Uh, that side-by-side -side racing let Joe Rutman close in, and uh, they've already caught the back part of the pack and start to lap cars. So we have the top three that's running very close. They continue to click off laps. Bodine back under Petty. Uh, the top three are really on top of each other. As we go to break, Bodine almost spins out. When we come back from the commercial, we see that Bodine's got by Petty. Also, Joe Rutman has followed through. And those two have uh, driven away from Petty who has now fallen back to Neil Bonnet and Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, this is one of those, you can tell something's up with Petty, but whatever it is, it's going to be a slow developing thing. Yeah, he's not he's not falling like Richmond did. I mean, Richmond just, yeah. he free fell. Petty's kind of bouncing as he goes down. Yeah, he pulled a Tom Petty. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Tom Petty. Bazinga. The, so we have the top two cars pulling away. Uh, Rusty Wallace into the pits for an unscheduled pit stop. They change left side tires. He had a flat left rear tire. Both Neil Bonnet and Dale Earnhardt get by Petty, who has apparently lost the handling. He's really starting to struggle because then Darrell Waltrip and Bobby Allison also go by. And uh, Jack Aroot says the tires may be a problem. And Andy, they talked about um, hard compound tires at North Wilkesboro, and that's a problem in NASCAR in general, and you don't blame Goodyear because NASCAR tells them how to make the tires, but it's always seemed like when they ran softer tires that gave up, the racing was always better. When they put these tires on that's hard as a rock, it just it makes it just kills the racing overall for some reason. Well, with the harder tires, there's no in between. You either got traction or you don't, and that's why they lose and they lose and they wreck and do all this other stuff. The softer compound, it goes away gradually, and you can affect how far it goes away. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those weird things, and this is, NASCAR at that time didn't do a whole lot of um, hard compound tire deals, so we'll have to see how that shakes out as uh, we keep going on through 1986. So uh, Jeff Bodine, he's really mowing down the field. He's lapped, he's lapped Tim Richmond already. I mean... I don't know exactly what lap we're on, but it's still early in the race. 
Yeah, but Richmond, he was, he was barely hanging on. It, I mean, it was like being in the PBR. He was just holding on for eight seconds. Yeah, he was he was all over the place. There's only 19 cars on the lead lap, but I think they only start like 30 or 31 cars. So those cars that he's lapped mostly have been back markers and then a couple that's had to pit. Uh, Doug Hebron almost spins out right in front of Jeff Bodine, but he saves it. We have no caution, and we are 44 laps into the race. We have Neil Bonnet, who has got by Rutman for second. Richard Petty pits for a flat right rear tire, so that puts him in a bad spot here early in the race after such a good start. We've got a lot of good racing from about 6th to 8th between Waltrip, um, Ricky Rudd, and Kyle Petty. We have Dale Earnhardt and Bobby Allison getting by Joe Rutman. And one thing I'm noticing here early in the race there's definitely a lot of comers and goers. The hard tires, I think, everybody's having a hard time trying to get a hold of the of the setup. Yeah, when you're used to one setup and then they throw something completely different on you, it's going to take them a while to get it figured out. And some people just luck into it and are able to do it from the start. Yeah, uh, you could see who hit it and who didn't. Uh, Tim Richmond's had enough. He comes into the pits. He apparently has a flat. Parson says he don't think he had a flat. He was just uh, just too loose. I'd put my money on Parsons. He's been right all the time so far. <laughs> now, Benny Parsons is Nostradamus. He don't he don't get it wrong. So if Benny Parsons says he's just too loose, I'll take Benny's word. Um, if Jim Lampley said if if we see a car flipping down the track and on fire, and Jim Lampley says that, I'll think the car's going straight. Yeah, because uh, you have Benny Parsons. He's Nostradamus, and that Lampley feller, he was Nostradamus. Oh my God. We have um, Jeff Bodine now about two seconds ahead of Neil Bonnet, Dale Earnhardt, and Bobby Allison. And uh, we have Bobby Allison going by Earnhardt. He looks pretty good early. And these cars are still... It's The one thing you'll notice early in the race is nobody is handling well. Even the guys that's in the lead, you'll see every once in a while, those front two or three cars will break loose the back ends and... I don't know how we hadn't had five or six cautions already. No, not at this point, because they, they're sliding five and six feet into the turns, and they are still trying to pass each other, so it's not like they're just laying back. Oh, no. They're still um, all over each other. 65 laps into the race. All green so far, no cautions. We have uh, Bobby Allison getting by Bonnet on the outside. Bodine's about a half a straightaway ahead, and we're already down to 10 cars on the lead lap. That shows... Just how hooked up Bodine was. Yeah, he was, he was a great driver. I don't remember him being that good, but apparently he was. Oh, yeah, Bodine was really, really good. Um, he had some bad luck, and he probably didn't win as many races as he should have, but he had a he was always a factor when he ran in good equipment. Uh, 75 laps down, and we, we get a debris caution. I don't know why, because we'll have something later that makes me really <laughs> wonder why we have any kind of a debris caution in any race in this year. Uh, Jeff Bodine has a 40-second pit stop. Andy, in 40 seconds, I can do a lot of things yeah, if I, properly motivated. <laughs> in, in 40 seconds, I can do many, many things. Just ask my wife. Oh, my God. I mean, ser but literally, everything <laughs> went wrong on this pit stop. Oh. I, I don't know. It's like they dro they dropped the lug nuts, the jack fell. Uh, they I don't know what all happened, but it was a it was a horrendous 
did they, uh, pit stop. Did they forget the gun on the right rear, or did the gun just break? Or I, I think I that it broke. I, I think there. the gun may have broke. I'm not sure. Um, okay, so this is the caution flag, and this is where we we mentioned this a few weeks ago. Here it is. It's the iconic Tim Richmond green flag interview as they start out under caution, and they take the green, and Tim Richmond just don't stop talking. the iconic Tim Richmond interview Andy can you imagine like I don't know how to put that into perspective I do some iRacing and it's just virtual racing here on my computer and, and it's realistic and I can tell you that if I'm in the zone and I am trying to race against 35 or 40 other people that I really don't want to be having a conversation at all because I can't do that and Tim Richmond is in a NASCAR stock car on a rainy North Wilkesboro racetrack, out of control, and he decides to just keep talking for three or four laps while they're under green. And the whole time, it's he never raises his voice. He doesn't get excited. He's just a uh, matter of fact. He's having a conversation with Benny, and I'd be over going, oh, go, 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 lift, 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 forward, start, go, go, go. Yeah, can you imagine a spotter? He's like, his spotter's probably trying to talk to him, like, damn it, get off of the TSPN. We, I got to tell you what's going on. He's like, I don't need a spotter. I don't need a crew chief. Just let me drive. Yeah, just get out of the way. Turn it off. I want to talk to Benny. He knows what's going to happen, yeah. so he can tell me where to go. Yeah, Benny is going to be my spotter for these next 10 laps. Amen. All right, so... Um, out of this caution, and then we get done talking to Richmond here under green, and we have Trevor Boys, and he's crashed really hard. Yes. And he's at the entrance of the pits. He is junked. He's sitting at the entrance of the pits. NASCAR does not throw a caution, even though they threw a caution for a plastic bag under the last yellow. He is sitting literally like, it's not like he's way into the pits. He's at the entrance of pit road where anybody that spins off the track could hit him. These wrecker guys are probably more <laughs> nervous than a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Are you, are you kidding? That's my people. They're drunk. They don't care. They may have been. I mean, back then it was a little different, but can you imagine this guy is, he's, he's wrecked 
and the wrecker's hooking up the car as it sits on pit road and i'll we'll let benny and bob and larry uh, give their opinion also and a car has spun and hit the wall up in turn number four that's the number six of trevor boys from calgary alberta the car to the inside of the racetrack at the entrance to pit road the yellow flag is not being displayed because that car is off of the racetrack. Well, another reason, Bob and Benny, is that where he has stopped, he is out of the way, and to throw the yellow flag is to entice everybody to come in would not be a safe moment because he is right in the way. The wrecker is moving out to get the car off pit road, and they still haven't thrown the caution flag. I'm kind of surprised at this, but the racing continues on. Green flag. And Dale Earnhardt continues to set the pace now as he is pulling away from the rest of the field. I mean, they really didn't know what to say. I think this is one time the announcers are questioning NASCAR's logic because you've got a guy being hooked up to the wrecker because his car is totaled. <laughs> well, you got to figure, he's Canadian. He really didn't care either way. You know, now, later, uh, my life sucks. I'm in Canada. Oh. <laughs> Anybody that listens above, uh, north of, in the, you know, the greater part of North America into Canada, the the uh, opinions expressed by Andy Waddell are solely the expressions by Andy Waddell and not of this podcast. That's true. <laughs> uh, okay, so... We're a quarter of the way through the race now. Dale Earnhardt in the lead. Joe Rutman, Daryl Waltrip are the top three. And there's nine cars on the lead lap. We have Earnhardt pulling away. Waltrip um, is with Bobby Allison, also Ricky Rudd, and Neil Bonnet. They're all right together. They're all four. It's weird. We have, All four red and white cars are right together. They're all a little differently painted, but... All four red and white cars have somehow magically landed together here. And, and two of them's Budweiser, so that makes it even more confusing. And Yeah, they're both the same. I mean, one number apart, same paint scheme, just kind of reversed. Maybe it was cheaper. I don't, yeah, maybe the red and the white probably was. The red, they, yeah, they got the color. You know, that's, that's one thing, um, going back and watching races from back then, that we can touch on that's so different now. I don't know in 20 years if we'll have anybody remembering iconic cars anymore like you associated that wrangler yellow and blue with dell earnhardt because he ran it for a few years you they ran the same scheme the whole year and i know why they don't now because they have to get as many sponsors as they can because they can't get somebody to foot the bill for the whole year but it does take away now there, there's no iconic cars every week it's almost like it's a whole new ball game it's trying to figure out who's driving what color car and it's the numbers is the only thing that's the same well you take somebody that doesn't watch it every week like me if i go to watch a race right now i can't tell you who's who before you know the 90s 2000s up in that era i could just look out there and i could tell you by the paint scheme by the color who it was i didn't even have to see the number yeah and i mean now besides just having um different sponsors we have special paint schemes a lot of times and they didn't even introduce special paint schemes until the early 90s i, I was I, was it dell i think it was dell earnhardt may have introduced uh the special schemes at the winston in early maybe 92 93 something like that i'll have to go back and look but but special paint schemes we we now have different sponsors and special paint schemes back then you saw the number nine. It was always going to be the red course car. You saw the number 
22 of Bobby Alice. It's like it sticks in your head. Harry Gantt, Skull Bandit. Now, you know, in 20 years, Kyle Busch's car, most of the time it's it's um, M&M's and it's yellow. He's the only one that honestly sticks out nowadays to where most of the time, like if you remember Kyle, you'll remember yellow M&M's. Yeah, and, but see, this is what I think when they do the throwback, they need to go ahead and get the body styles and do a complete throwback. Keep <laughs> the safety innovations you've got, but use the old body styles and let's go completely to a throwback. Now let's do that at the wins at the All Star race and and see how how we go with it. But they are coming out with a new generation car. But this is an old school podcast, so we will move on. Benny Parsons um, tells us that Bud Moore missed the last two races <laughs> with hepatitis. With hepatitis, I don't know if that's. I mean, I, I caught it later on. <laughs> I know what he did. He, he meant to say um, uh, appendicitis. Because later on in the program, one of the other announcers says, yeah, we want to wish him well on recovering from his appendicitis. <laughs> but when he first says it, he says that. <laughs> and I bet you Bud Moore, if he, if he had a wife, he, she was going, he's got what? <laughs> you did what? <laughs> Hepatitis hippo was not a thing in 1986. Apparently neither was slander. Holy crap. Benny Parsons throwing the fireball <laughs> accidentally. He might have predicted it though. He might have been getting hepatitis later. I don't know. Oh, oh. So one thing that um, is interesting here is how God Joe Rutman is probably like one of the top three drivers in early 1986 except every time he has something going good something bad happens. Yeah, it's like right here. He is on Earnhardt's butt the entire time. I mean, every turn, every straightaway, he is right there waiting. Yeah, he's he's on top of it, and he's he's trying to get by Earnhardt. But the one thing is, Rutman's really patient. It could have worked against him sometimes. I think every once in a while he needed to use that that front end and kind of push people out of the way. He definitely had the opportunities, but he knew better. Yeah. Well, we um. Let's see what happens. Uh, the Jeff Bodine is stuck back in the field after that two-minute pit stop, and he's not really coming back up through there like you'd think he would. No, I don't know if they had if something was wrong with the tires that they changed out or what, but he it seemed like he lost it. I don't know what happened. Um, we have Tim Richmond spinning out. The caution is out this time, even though it was just a little spin. Um, the car spins out and, and instantly refires. You have a totally crashed car. On pit road that needs a tow truck, but we don't need a caution for that one. Well, it all depends on who you are, apparently. Yeah, yeah. If you're if Tim Richmond spins out, you're throwing a caution. Yeah. If a guy from Canada spins out and is on fire, you're just going to let the fire burn out yeah. and then just keep 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 on trucking. He wants to be warm, eh? Hey, the 25 trying to get under the 23. We see under the um, replay, he spins himself out. We talked to Tim again. He said that Waltrip had his eyes closed. I guess that's the nicest way he could say that because he did cut down on him and and Richmond basically spun himself to keep from spinning out Walter. Well, apparently when one wants to put one's head up on his own butt, yeah, you got to close your eyes. Yeah. Richard Petty now um, smoking and he pulls to the inside. He's off the pace. He just couldn't catch a, he just couldn't catch a break. He had a good car and then he had the flat tire and now he's blowed up. Yeah, he was working his way back, and he just can't catch it. I keep forgetting how good he was still at this stage of his racing career. Yeah, I mean, he was. It wasn't like he was um, out in left field. We uh, have Dale Earnhardt, Ricky Rudd, Daryl Waltrip, and Joe Rutman, the top four. 
Uh, Richard Petty into the pits. The crew goes under the hood. Looks like it's dropped a valve. Uh, and we have clip number four coming up right now for the race as Willie T. Ribs has spun out. So Willie T. Ribs in his NASCAR debut, not not looking too kind to him. He spins out, and we'll talk a little more about him. Uh, they've got an interview with him later. Uh, we go back green. Rusty Wallace gets spun out trying to get a lap back, but there is no caution for him. Uh, we get a few more laps down. Joe Rutman has got by Ricky Red for second. He runs right down Dale Earnhardt's rear end, and he's trying to pass him on the outside, and it starts raining, and that's going to be a... One of the things that we talk about the rest of the race is it. I think it rains pretty much the whole rest of the race. Yeah. Sometimes it's just enough to keep them from being green. Yeah, it just amazed me because anymore if they get just at least a little bit of rain, it's going. They're going to throw the flag and stop it. But they was it was drizzling and they were letting them race. I don't know. So 163 laps down in the race, Earnhardt Rutman right together. We have Tim Richmond who's running right with them trying to get a lap back. I'm. I almost wonder. If he had a bad set of tires to start the race, because he talks later somewhere in this race, an interview, maybe it's when they were in that rain delay under caution, and he said that he was running really well the day before, and he couldn't figure out what happened at the start of the race, but his car, ever from that first run on, it was really good. Yeah, it wasn't like a bad setup, because, you know, if he had a bad setup, it would have been real good for the first, you know, five, ten laps. It was bad from the start. Yeah, and then... Every time after he got those that first set of tires, he seemed to be running well. So maybe they just had a bad set of tires. Um, we have 175 laps into the race. Earnhardt is uh, is still running pretty well. Uh, Rutman's pushing hard to get by him. Jenkins mentions that the rain is getting harder. And all of that's going on. And Daryl Walter takes a spin. Windy down there, Dalton. 
Andy Bonsai again. Is it still very windy down there? So there we have uh, two clips back to back. Walter, the spin out clip, and then when we have more rain and, and Jack Root, he uh, he says water is wet. Yes, he also says it while he's sitting next to the racetrack in the <laughs> grass, touching the racing service. The man is on a suicide mission. He is. I, I noticed that. It's not like he's protected by even a guardrail. He's basically standing on the racetrack while the cars are matriculating around the track. Yeah, in the turn, not even in the straightaway. He's in the turn. It, uh, can you imagine somebody trying to do that now? It, it's like back then you see somebody like, well, who is that? NASCAR in the tower. Like, what the hell? <laughs> That's that ESPN idiot down there. He's just, hell let him get hit. <laughs> he'll teach him a lesson. <laughs> yeah, he'll learn today. We ain't going to fool with him. You can't think stupid. Oh, my Lord. But, I mean, it was just so much more lax back then, and now everything... And I get it. I mean, I know why things are... You want it to be safer, but then you look at stuff like that, and it's just insane when you see that. No different. 209 laps into the race, so we have made it past the halfway point, which then would have been an official race, and we do get uh, caution for rain. Benny Parsons says, who's going to pit and who won't pit? Because I mean, at that point, they don't know if the rain's going to stop or come back out. If they're going to go green at all. And um, it's it's one of those things, Andy, it's danged if you do, danged if you don't. And um, we have, we're going to go to talk, because during this caution, they talked to Tim Richmond here in his car um, about the rain, his car, and something that I thought was pretty interesting. Tim Richmond, this is Benny Parsons up in the ESPN control. Do you read bad was the rain just a few laps ago? Well, as far as racetrack conditions were concerned, it was uh, it was not as good. It was it was getting to be a little bit dangerous. Uh, I mean, uh, it wasn't a point to where we couldn't drive them at all, but the biggest factor was uh, we couldn't see out of the windshield. Uh, had there been a problem in front of any of the drivers, uh, it would have taken a little bit to see through the mist that's on the windshield right now. So the biggest problem looking out through the glass instead of what's on the racetrack. Well, Tim, you were able to race with Dale Earnhardt and Joe Rutman. The cars are running 1-2 right now. Uh, your opinion, who's the strongest of the two? Uh, right now, they're pretty much equal, but uh, the strongest man's the one uh, that's out front uh, because this track's so treacherous anyway as far as the forward bike you get off the corner. Uh, if you're in front, you can hold the back. And not have to worry about it. So, uh, whoever uh, gets to jump on the car and gets in the lead will be the strongest car if they both continue to have the same uh, handling uh, characteristics that they have been having. Well, Tim, your car earlier on was, was terrible. When you started the race, you drifted back. But right now, you seem to be one of the faster cars on the racetrack. What have you done to the automobile? Uh, Benny, we just came in and uh, made some adjustments to the chassis. We've tightened it up considerably, uh, but it's still not. 
can't imagine what uh, what has happened with the last practice yesterday. We had an absolute, what I felt, and everybody else had a perfect car. And then when we started the race today, it was not even close. So I don't know. The track changed or, or something uh, has changed. I don't know. It just, it's just a mystery why we couldn't uh, run as good as we did practice yesterday. We'd still be on the same lap, I'm sure, if that had happened. Well, uh, Tim, I was handed a note by Bob Jenkins, our co-anchor up in the booth up here. And the note says, ask him about getting married. What about it? Are you going to get married? <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, that's up to the person that I've asked. Uh, Benny, uh, we won't know until the time comes. We could get a yay, we could get a nay. Or just have to wait and see. Right now, uh, there's no plans of it. There's just been the big question, man. <laughs> but you have asked if it's uh, a lady to marry you, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that is correct. Uh, we're, uh, we're waiting on the answer. Uh, you never know, it might come tomorrow, a good answer, and uh, you never know, it might come uh, 20 years from now, we never know. Or it may never come. Thanks, Tim, good luck. Uh, Roger, thank you. So one of the uh, world's most eligible bachelors may be assigned to not here before long. So there we have the interview with uh, Tim Richmond, and the most interesting thing about this whole interview is Bob Jenkins has Benny Parsons uh, ask him about a proposal, Andy. Yeah, and it goes back to what I said. Parsons was a time traveler or something. I don't know, because at the very end of it, he let slip, or it may never happen, and it was just, I don't know, that was just eerie. Yeah, or it may never happen. He said 25 years from now, or... It may never happen, and man, if Richmond would have just decided to settle down about maybe, I don't know exactly when he caught the the virus, the AIDS virus, but you have to think it was booming probably 85. He probably caught it in 85, 80, late 84, 85. He'd have settled down just a little earlier. We'd be talking about a three-time NASCAR champion probably. Yeah, and can you imagine the uh, commentator booth on Fox with DW and Tim Richmond both in it and Ned Jarrett helping them out? Oh man, uh, just just so, ah, just missed Tim Richmond so much that he didn't get that opportunity. Um, so we get, uh, we have yes. During all this, Larry Newber has interviewed Willie T. Ribs. They go to a um, pre-taped interview, and Andy, I'm gonna be careful with this. I, Willie T. Ribs seems to me, at least in this interview, like. He he's got this arrogance, almost like the um, like he's entitled to something when he's not done anything in NASCAR. Yeah, he's won in Trans Am, but he's got a weird confidence that you wouldn't think would go over well in the NASCAR garage. Yeah, especially this because they didn't like it. Didn't matter whether you was open wheel, if you ran Trans Ams, wherever you came from, if you didn't come from the dirt tracks. You had to earn every inch of respect you got. But what I thought was funny and goes back to my theory and proves that I'm right, his hat says, sleep, cheat, and he's talking to Mike Lindell. Rest my case. Harry <laughs> uh, Newber in witness protection is uh, the new uh, pillow guy. So that's what you take out of that whole interview. That's what I, that and the fact that they come back and said that, that he was the third black driver to 
get into NASCAR and start. And I was like, I don't remember the second one. And they mentioned the second one was from Newport, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Um, and if Randy, you live, Randy Bethea. And if you live in East Tennessee and you know about Newport in the 80s, that should be shocking. It really should. Um, there's, there's, yes. If you live in East yes. Tennessee, that is a surprising revelation that he lived in Newport, Tennessee. Um, Junior Johnson cars are trying to get by Earnhardt on this uh, after a restart. Finally, Bodine has stretched. Bodine's in the lead, and he stretched the lead to about a second and a half. We go to commercial break. Come back, Willie T. Ribs. He spun out. We're under caution. Uh, Neil Bonnet lost a lap in the pits. Jack Root says that he had the green go sign. We need clarification, and we'll get that. The green comes out. Ricky Red now in the lead with Rettman and Earnhardt, the top three. Uh, Parsons and Jenkins agree that the uh, 12 of Bonnet pitted too soon, and he's legitimately a lap down. And uh, then we go to uh, our next major moment of the race, Terry Labonte blows up and Joe Rutman takes a spin. Number 44 is smoking and falling off the pace. A tough break for the Corpus Christi driver. Yes, the Oldsmobile driver. Rutman is spinning. He got touched by Earnhardt. In turn four, Joe Rutman has made a complete 360. He was really off the pace. I shouldn't use the word really, but he was not running as quickly as the other front runners and Dale Earnhardt, and he touched as they move through turns three and four, and, Earn, and uh, Rutman goes around one time, keeps the engine fired. Can uh, you imagine that all those cars missed him? Yeah, that was a miracle. <laughs> it was a miracle. <laughs> he really scrambled, but everybody did. And Terry Labonte has pulled into the pits, and it looks like it's over for him. Rutman has uh, resumed and is catching up with the rest of the field. <laughs> there we see J.D. McDuffie on the... Uh, on the inside of the racetrack going down the front straightaway. But if we can get a camera to go right in behind the 44 car, we can see what happened to his automobile because we see the trail of oil running back right to the engine on the car 44. So there we have a, a crucial moment in the race. Terry Bonnie wasn't exactly burning it up, but um, for Joe Rutman to get spun out right there, we couldn't really see what happened, and we, we learned later, Dale Earnhardt basically admitted that... Um, he got into Rutman a little too hard and spun him out, and he he acted like he did feel sorry about that one. Yeah, I mean, how much did he have to respect Rutman to actually apologize to him on camera in front of a national audience? I have, I very rarely did I ever see that out of him. No, and, and he did. He got into Rutman and, and spun him out, and it didn't wreck him, but it definitely uh, set Rutman back in the race. And here we have Benny Parsons. Uh, oh, no, Tim Brewer has talked to Jack Aroot under caution about the Neil Bonnet deal. And uh, Brewer said that he thought the other cars were coming in also. And basically what happened is Bonnet was one of the few cars to come in when the caution first came out. And with those, like, caution flags worked then, not really sure, but Bodine was basically allowed to speed around the track at full speed for another lap, and it put Bonnet a lap down in the pits. If nothing else, that was one rule NASCAR did get right, is to make everybody line up under caution before you can come down to the pits. Yes. Yeah. Gather the field together in some sort of a fa orderly fashion, and then pit. Uh, Benny Parsons mentions that there's a lot of people leaving. And right now in, in NASCAR today, they they try not to talk about the, the um, attendance at all, usually, because it's not usually full. But when they do... 
it's because it's full and they never talk about people leaving. Like, well, this race sucks. Look at all these people leaving. Where are they going? And Benny Parsons just openly says, look at all these people leaving. But they're, they're leaving because they think it's raining harder and it's probably going to rain it out. So they're trying to beat the traffic. Yeah, but he's Benny Parsons. What are they going to do to him? He's the most, one of the most beloved drivers in NASCAR history. Yeah, you're not you're not going to sit Benny Parsons down and tell him what he can or can't say. Uh, we have a long caution flag here, and um, we go back to green finally with Ricky Rudd, Bodine, and Earnhardt at the front of the pack. Neil Bonnet's trying to race pretty hard to get that lap back, and the cars are sliding all over the place. Jenkins comments that the skies are finally brightening up a little bit. Uh, we see Joe Rutman during this run trying to get back through the field. He passes Daryl Waltrip on the outside. He's up to seventh. A couple of laps later, he passes Jerry Gann on the outside for sixth. Then he passes Bill Elliott for fifth a few more laps later. So Rutman is definitely showing that he had a good car. He was a man possessed. You, It was almost like a movie <clears throat> watching him weave through traffic. It was impressive. A lot of green flag racing taking place. Uh, Ricky Rudd in the lead. We have Bodine getting to his bumper and Earnhardt also closing in. Michael Waltrip to the pits. Um, some some kind of mechanical issue. Rudd starts to stretch the lead back out over Bodine and he's about, then Bodine's also about a uh, second ahead of Earnhardt. And Joe Rutman has closed down onto Bobby Allison trying to get by him for fourth. This is a pretty long green flag run. And Dave Marcus, then, he just slams into the outside wall to uh, bring out a caution and bunch everybody back up. Andy, that was a shot. I, I was more surprised by <clears throat> learning that he had a sugar mama. What happened? Oh, Helen, the Helen Ray special? Oh, my Lord. So. Well, that would be a sugar mama, wouldn't it, by I, definition? By definition, yes. And we know um, Dave Marcus, he could use all the help he could get as a... He's not a car owner, so hey, whatever works for him. And it looks like, though, when we see the replay here, it looks like Marcus lost his brakes because the car was just, he just goes into the turn really hard and goes up the track. And then later, I think when they interview him, what is it? he said the throttle hung. He said hung. the throttle hung. In... Yeah, it hung wide open. You don't want the throttle to hang wide open anywhere, but I mean, even at a track like North Wilkesboro, that's, that's scary. And that's not the first time it's happened in this season, and we're only six, seven races in. Yeah, and it's good that we've got those kill switches now to, to at least try to stop that when a throttle does hang to stop the engine uh, to keep from hitting the wall so hard. So lap 360, 40 laps to go, we get a restart. So the, um, Earnhardt passed both the 15 and the 5 in the pit. So this is one race where Dale Earnhardt, he needed to take his crew guys out to dinner. Yeah, their chocolate better got a steak meal on that one. Yeah, because Earnhardt, honestly, um, even though he ran well all the, the whole race, that run before that, he looked to have about the fourth best car, but he gets into the pits and um, gets in and out ahead of the other guys. So just a crazy, uh, just a crazy round of pit stops. I, I don't know. They didn't say. I thought maybe he just took two tires. I don't know if he took two tires, but he wasn't even in frame shot when they showed him coming out of the pit. So whatever it was, it worked. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe he did take four and he was just that much faster. But to come in third and to come out in the lead, I thought he maybe took two tires. Um, 
maybe so we can get clarification on that. And uh, yeah, here we do have the um, interview clip with Dave Marcus where he talks about the throttle hanging. to 34 laps to go um del earnhardt has a literal train behind him of tim richmond ricky rudd jeff bodine and joe rutman richmond's still a lap down and he stays behind him for a couple of laps and then andy he just moves over and lets him go um i know that we hear a lot about tim richmond's driving style and he was always real hard-nosed and he didn't he was too reckless but here you see he knew what he was doing. He, he moves over and let these guys race for the win. He knew he couldn't win, and he didn't do anything stupid. Yeah, the first five or six laps, he tried to get his lap back, and he was racing Earnhardt hard. But once he seen he couldn't do it, he just backed up and said, you boys race for the win. Well, I guess he figured with 30 laps to go, there's just no way he's getting two laps back anyway. So he don't want to cause any kind of a an issue for the guys racing for the win. So we have Earnhardt getting sideways ricky red almost got by him jeff bodine jumped to the outside and man right now they are racing yeah and earnhardt is using every car everything he can to try and keep them out he done everything he could um joe rutman is going to the outside of of um jeff bodine now and daryl waltrip closes in they him they almost crash uh him and rutman almost crash and waltrip uh, gets by. Uh, we see Rutman had tried to cut down on Daryl, and Daryl didn't back off. Shoved Rutman up the track. But 20 laps to go. Here, no, no time to back off then. No, and this is where they start hitting the lap traffic, and it's going to get bad. Yeah, Rutman has closed back in right, right on the back of Earnhardt, and uh, those now they're starting to separate themselves from uh, the rest of the top five. We're down to 13 laps to go. Rutman is all over Waltrip again. Uh, down to 10 to go. And we have Earnhardt and Rudd. They're still just right together. And we're working a lot of lap traffic. And what we're going to do is we, we're down to five laps to go. Earnhardt, Rudd, right together. We'll let Benny, Bob, and the pillow man bring us home. Five laps to go. Five to go. The problem is Dale Earnhardt, I don't think he's going to let Ricky Rudd get alongside of him unless he does it on the outside. He'll give Ricky the outside of the racetrack, and I don't think Ricky can do anything with it out there. But he's got four laps to find out, and we'll find out. Once again, we watch this battle for third and fourth position. Now we're back up front for the leaders. And there is the interval between second and third position. So it's been basically a two-car race. It's going to come down to that with a checkered flag. Will it be Dale Earn or will it be Ricky Rudd, Chevy, or Ford? They were qualifying. Ricky Rudd is faster. This is not possible. Now we have just three. Oh, left to go. They're down the back stretch. It's Earnhardt still leading. Four or five car lengths now on Ricky Rudd. 
Dale keeps it right on. He's, be, he's sure to keep it on the bottom of the racetrack. Lost his time around the racetrack, but he knows that's the spot that Ricky Rudd can get by the easiest. He has to cover that spot first. Next time around, it'll be the white flag. Just one more lap to go. And not a good set of turns the last time. Two, one and two for Ricky Rudd. You can see he lost about a car length, and a car length is almost as good as a lap at this juncture of the race. The white flag is out. One more lap to go. We'll watch Dale Earnhardt and Ricky Rudd down in turn number two now. Rudd hangs onto the lead. They come off the second corner and down the back stretch. Earnhardt lengthens his lead to about five car lengths. They're in turn three. Now turn four. Off the corner. Dale Earnhardt wins the first Union 400. Rudd finishes second. Here comes Bodine in third. Then Waltrip and then Joe Rutman. A victory. Dale Earnhardt has won his second consecutive Winston Cup race. Last weekend at Darlington on the High Bank Super Speedway and now on the short track here at North Wilkesboro. That last, last caution flag really set up the opportunity for drama, guys, but Dale Earnhardt made it anti-climatic. He sure did. Has just, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, the most dominant car by far on the Winston Cup circuit this year. Proves again today. These fellas have got some work cut out for them. They're going to beat that Wrangler machine in 1986. You are absolutely right. Now, Dale went into this race in second position in the Winston Cup points, about 48 behind Darrell Waldron. And that gap is going to narrow because of Earnhardt's win here at North Wilkesboro. So Jack Aroot has made his way to victory lane, and as soon as Dale gets unstrapped, we'll move in to talk with him, and we'll do that in a moment. Today's winner... And it looks, Dale Earnhardt, like you don't ever want to give up victory lane. A win in Darlington, and now a win in North Wilkesboro. Congratulations. Thank you, Jackie. And it's a nice place to be, you know. Good Lord, let's uh, get by without rain today and a safe race. And, you know, the car did pretty good all day. Uh, we had real good pit stops. The guys were just super in the pits, and you know, it's just a great day for us. I'd like to apologize to Joe Rutman and the Quaker State crew because I, I jumped up under him in the traffic over there. The, a car just went under him, and I stuck my nose in, and, and he came down, and we clipped him, and we both just about spun out. He did, but, you know, I, that was more or less my fault. I should have probably waited a little more, but uh, a car just passed him, and I thought I could get in there with him too, but, I, you know, I just run out of room there. So, you know, sorry to Joe. I think they come back to his fourth, didn't they? When you take a look in your rearview mirror near the end of the race and you kept seeing Ricky Rudd just stalking you, looking for a mischief, were you concerned at all? Well, I was because he was running so strong before that last pit stop, but uh, we got a good combination on the tires, and uh, I could, you know, keep the car down and run a low groove, and, you know, Rick and I had the best cars. Uh, you know, uh, he's run good all, all year long. They've had some trouble, and... Uh, I was glad to see them finish good, but I was worried about him. I didn't know whether I had enough to beat him or not. I had to wait to the last. Well, gentlemen, they say cream rises to the top, and that seems to be the case here today in Victory Lane in North Wilkesboro. Our congratulations from the booth to Dale Earnhardt, winner of our race here today, and the top ten finishers show that in second position was Ricky Rudd, finishing third, Jeff Bodine, fourth was Darrell Waltrip, and fifth, Joe Rutman. Six through ten... Finishing in sixth position was Bobby Allison, then Harry Gant seventh, Kyle Petty eighth, Bill Elliott ninth, and Rusty Wallace finished in tenth place. The race summary shows us that Earnhardt led 195 laps, the margin of victory about a car length. The average speed was 88.4 miles an hour, and the race took two hours, 49 minutes, and 39 seconds.
And there you have it. Um, Dale Earnhardt's able to hold off Red for the win. I thought Red would try to get to him and, and push him around. He just couldn't get back to Earnhardt's bumper. No, Earnhardt kept using the lap cars to slow him down, and then he'd take off and leave him sitting, and by the time he made back up, they hit more lap traffic. Yeah, and that's a that's a telling interview there with Earnhardt and Victory Lane because he's happy, but this is the this is when he apologizes to Joe Rutman and basically says that um you know that was a uh, uh, he sorry that and he he was even wanted to know where Rutman got back up to in the race. Yeah, he actually seemed remorseful. I mean, it wasn't an act. It wasn't you know for sponsorships. It was honestly a racer wanting to know if uh, another racer he'd ruined his day. Yeah, so um, we're going to go into the post-race wrap-up now for the Wilkesboro race here. And Andy, this is one time we, we could differ. I don't know. Who's your driver of the race? I'm going to surprise you on this one. I'm going to say Rutman. He goes back and forth and back and forth, and he got dropped out, spun out, wrecked, and he still come back. Earnhardt did good, and he won the race and all, but Rutman had to be the driver. Well, I will agree with you there. I was... I was wondering if you'd go the other way, but um, Rutman just, he had a good car. He never, I don't even, did he ever even lead? I'll have to look at the results, but he was always right there. And I just, I think he had the best car in the race. He just never, never got there. He was the only one on open track that could get up there and actually challenge Earnhardt until the very end. Yeah, he was, he definitely had a good car and uh, I'll give him my driver of the race also. A uh, critical moment of the race. Andy, what do you think was the most important thing that happened? Probably the last caution, because without it, Earnhardt does not get in the lead, in my opinion. He had a good car, top five, but he doesn't get the lead if without that last caution. No, I, that, I agree there also. I think um, it looked like it was Ricky Red's race until they had that last caution come out, so that definitely changed everything. What was you most surprised about in this race? The general lack of safety, good Lord. No pit wall, people out there on the track. They're still running wide open when somebody stalled out on pit road. It was crazy. I, it was It was pretty crazy. Um, I'll, I'll just agree with you there because I don't... We, the lack of safety um, was a big factor in, in this race. Thankfully, nobody got hurt. Andy, who do you give your goodies headache award to? Uh, probably not the obvious one. I'm going to have to give it to Richmond because he, no matter what he did, he couldn't get out of the funk. And by the time he did, it was too late and he was too far back. Yeah, Richmond, uh, he would be a good candidate. I'm going to give it to Dave Marcus just for how hard he hit the wall. He probably needed a good his headache powder uh, or a Helen Ray special. <laughs> oh, And we went uh, off the rails. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to. Uh, after you after you brought that up, I had to do it. Okay, so what was your God Lord? What was your race rating? I actually enjoyed this race. I had to give it a ninety because it was right up there with the best ones we've seen so far. Yeah, I liked it. I give it an eighty-seven, um, just because it did drag a couple of times and they ran about sixty laps under caution. I think that slowed it down a little bit but it was a good race um entertainment factor 94 because it was very entertaining and not always because of the racing uh, yeah no that's always the good thing sometimes in these races you can be entertained by many things and the race doesn't have to be part of it i gave it a 91 this is one you go back it's a solid race to watch for sure um check this one out because there's a lot of stuff that happened and it was a fun race to watch a lot of different uh stories happens in this race 
so what we're going to do right now is um, we're going to quickly go over the Martinsville race. And what the reason we're doing this quickly is two reasons. Um, we've come to the executive decision. Now, we're going to watch every race. So if I pull something out of a race, um, we'll try to make sure it's on the podcast. But there's maybe going to be a race here or there that we have a whole race and we are not going to deep dive it. Just because... I don't think it's fair to our listeners to try to drag out something that's not that good. Luckily, we've only really had one this year so far that I didn't think met the entertainment or the uh, the race. So hopefully that won't happen much. But the Mar- this Martinsville race, there's only 50 minutes of it. And Andy, it... Um, to put it simply, polish a turd, it's still a turd. Yeah. Okay, so... The the race um, at Martinsville, it was um, it was only a fifty minute SETN broadcast. The quality on YouTube wasn't the best. It's lucky I guess we've even got anything because those are broadcasts that somebody's pulled out of their basement that's on a thirty year old tape. And lucky we even got that. Yeah, we were lucky to even see this much, and we figured out that Ricky Rudd hates grills. I don't know what the thing is there. I don't know if he got burnt when he was a small child or what, but he just hates a grill. Yeah, like, um, what's his name, Nathan, uh, what, in uh, The Jerk? He hates, these, this man hates cans. Yes, yes, he hates them. And so the race at um at Martinsville here was the Sovereign Bank 500. Uh, ran on April the 27th, 1986. And this race had a ton of people blowing up. Much like the day before this race happened, this is actually the day, the day before was the day of the nuclear disaster in Pripyat that almost um, ended the world. Well, yeah, and it probably should have with this race coming up because everybody got out. Man, so we have so many guys. Bill Elliott blows an engine for the first time in three years. Rusty Wallace blows up. Richard Petty breaks an axle. Daryl Waltrip blows his engine. A few laps later, Neil Bonnet blows up. Harry Gant blows up. Tommy Ellis blows up. Um, Dale Earnhardt blows his engine. Also, Jeff Bodine and Buddy Arrington. That is a lot of engine failures. And I should go. we should go back and look at the... Um, I mean, this is in April. But when they got out of the cars, everybody was sweating. It, was, it must have been a really hot day in Martinsville this April in 1986. Yeah, because they were begging for four tire stops because they wanted water, water, water. Give us more water. Yeah, one thing you hear Benny Parsons talk about is, um, that was one thing I did notice. He's talking about, no, the pit stops don't seem too long when it's a warm day because we have to get, we want those two cups of water. And if they'd have kept it the way they was going, blowing engines and stuff, I was waiting to see Dave Marcus and one of the Allison boys take off and have a sprint foot race at the end. <laughs> Oh, man. So this race um, ultimately is won by Ricky Rudd, who's had a one of the top two or three cars the last four or five races. He wins. He's on a lap by himself. Joe Rettman finishes second a lap down. Terry Labonte finishes third four laps down. Um, Alan Kowicki finishes fourth. And this is before Kowicki was in a good car. Um he was four laps down. Kyle Petty, four laps down in fifth. Bobby Hillen, five laps down. Ken Schrader, seven laps down in seventh. Bobby Allison, eight laps down in eighth. Derek Cope, 
11 laps down in ninth, and Jody Ridley, 13 laps down in 10th. <laughs> it, it was a different time, a wonderful race. This is one time where if you little twits want to say anything about well, it ain't the old days. Cause, okay, I'll give you this race. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, was... I don't know why. I mean, I get, but part of it also is that attrition thing. If we didn't have um, Bodine, Ri I mean, and Richmond had a problem with the brakes, so he was way down. So we had Bodine, Earnhardt, Gant, Bonnet, Waltrip, Petty, Rusty Wallace, and Bill Elliott all going out with mechanical failures. When that happens, that's going to be a big deal. You more or less took out the entire all-star race. That'd be like taking Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman off the Bulls and then going, why they lose? Yeah, it's it's one of those things. So after this race, um, the point standings. Daryl Waltrip is still holding on to a slim points lead over Dale Earnhardt, five points ahead. Terry Labonte, 134 points back in third. Rusty Wallace, 155 points back and forth. Then Kyle Petty, Bill Elliott, Bobby Allison, Tim Richmond, 239 points behind an eighth. Jeff Bodine and Ricky Rudd, 260 points down in 10th. So um, anything you want to say about the Martinsville race other than what I just said? Hated it. I mean, it was just, it was not good. Um, but luckily, next week's Talladega. Amen. Here we go. Super yeah. Speedway. Earnhardt's going to be there. God bless America. God bless the troops. Yeehaw. Okay, Andy. Um, with the we got through two races in an hour. And that's not too bad. Uh, a lot went on at North Wilkesboro. Not a lot went on at Martinsville. And I mean, maybe it was a one of those mercy killings that we only had a fifty-minute Martinsville race to watch. It was kind of like watching Old Yeller. I cried. It was sad. It was. <laughs> Oh, okay. Anything else uh, you want to talk about this week before we uh, wrap it up? No, just Monday, remember the troops, honor the veterans, and I salute every one of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely Veterans Day. Thank a veteran for their service and what they've done for our country to make let us do this stupid podcast. Amen. So if um, you want to follow our group, remember once again, Racing Through Time on Facebook. Interact with us there. We've had some people give us some tips and... Uh, some pointers on some things that we didn't know happened in some races and it it helps us when we go into these races make some extra notes and maybe know something that we didn't email the show at racing through time project at gmail.com uh, follow me on twitter at opr word and like i said you can catch the show soundcloud stitcher apple itunes and google play maybe some more coming soon actually one thing um we're not trying to put the cart before the horse here, but we've had a couple of people request, um, you know, if we wanted to do something else besides. So here's our, our game plan. We'll go ahead and lay it out real quick. We're in 1986 right now. <clears throat> um, I thought we would maybe skip around this show and do different years, maybe do like 95 and then come back into the 80s. But I think it's going to make more sense to go chronologically. Oh, definitely, because this time frame, there are so many good years and good races and memories that everyone goes back to in iconic moments, so if you jump around, it's going to get really confusing. Yeah, now saying that, um, I know, unless I've just misremembered a lot, but I, 1987 wasn't the best year in NASCAR, 
unless she was an Earnhardt fan, which Andy was. Hello. But at the same time, as far as parody and a lot of good races, 1987 was lacking. So I think what we're going to do when we get through 86 is we're going to do a 1987 super show. It might be four or five hours, but we're not going to break every race down in detail. We are going to maybe talk about every race and what happened, but we're not going to go through every race one by one. We're going to do 1987 in one super show or two, or split up into two shows. And then we're going to jump into 88 and we might kind of go race to race from 88 or at least um, the better races. Uh, and that's maybe what we're going to finish doing here in 86. We're going to watch these races. And if we think that there's just not enough content, we may crush two or three races together for a podcast. Yeah, because I can talk to hear myself talk all I want to, but if it ain't going to be entertaining, there's no need in doing it. Yeah, I mean, we're doing it for for us, for the heck of it, and to have a, uh, to go back and pay honor to 1986 and our heroes when we were growing up, so, but we want it to be a fun show, so if sometimes there's a race that's not any good, we may, we may blow over it like we did in Martinsville, but... Martinsville, we only had 50 minutes, so we couldn't do a whole lot with it anyway. Yeah, we'll always do our best, and we'll see what we can get out of them. So one thing um, that we may do here in the future, if if I've had a few people talk to me about it, and um, we're not in it for the money, but we may do a Patreon um, here coming up sometime during this 86 project or after, not any time in the next couple of weeks or anything, but... If you want us to cover a particular race, what we're going to do is we're going to open it up and let somebody pick a race from any year you want to pick it from. And we'll cover a race and we'll start doing those as Patreon specials. Yeah, and as as we go along, we might do some watch-alongs or, you know, some other kind of thing. We're Like I say, we're just doing this for the fun of it, you know. Biggest thing is, is to get good equipment so we can sound halfway decent even though we're idiots. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got some, I mean, we actually have equipment, but we need some different podcasting equipment that'll help us uh, better do these broadcasts. So um, when we yeah. do that, that's what we're going to, the Patreon fund is going to fund the new broadcasting equipment. And, and it doesn't have to be a NASCAR race. I mean, we'll watch a Formula One race if you want us to. We'll we watch. Will? Yeah, oh, okay. we will. We'll watch an IndyCar race, um, an old dirt race. It doesn't matter. One thing that we're going to do just for us is... Um, some of the old, maybe old ASA races or All-American 400s at Nashville. If we do a Patreon page um, where we put out content once a month, we're going to do delve away from NASCAR a little bit, but stay in stock cars, I think, for for us. Now, if you want to pick something, um, you'll have the opportunity to pick whatever you want to, but we're going to do some different things that'll be a little bit different than just NASCAR or maybe even some Grand National or we're going to do a little bit of everything with the Patreon deal when once we do start it. You do know when we go open wheel, I'm going to crap on it, right? You might you might like it. No, Let's see. Well, don't knock it till you try it. Uh, that can be said about a lot of things. For Andy Waddell, this is Ricky Wittenberg and another Racing Through Time in the books. <laughs>